Well, choir, what got into you this morning? I suggest uh, you let that happen more and more often. You do a good job. I appreciate that with everything you do, no matter what style of music you're singing. You exalted the Lord today, and thank you. Let me invite your attention to Matthew chapter 17. And this morning, we're going to take a few minutes to brag on the Lord Jesus Christ and exalt Him. I know that doesn't come as a surprise to many of you, but there are many places where you can go to worship and hear a sermon, and a conservative Jew or Muslim would agree with everything said in the service, because they have something comparable to an orthodox doctrine or vocabulary about God. Uh, here at Beach Haven, we don't run around with sticks in our hands to poke people in the eyes, but what we do is that we are very explicit and very clear that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are zealously focused on God the Son, Jesus Christ. And we want to be like the Father at the Transfiguration and the Baptism and other places in the Gospels. And that is, we want to be able to say with the Father, uh, He's the Son, with Him we are well pleased. If the Father is pleased with Him, I am too. And I would remind you, of course, that we have been bragging on Jesus for two millenniums. We have been exalting Jesus for 2,000 years. And you would wonder, well, what else is there left to say? Well, we can say everything that's already been said. And we can say other things as well. How much more can we possibly say? Well, let me inform the world that compared to all we could say, and compared to all that we want to say about Jesus, we haven't even started saying hello. We haven't got through the introduction to the majesties and the multiplied glories of the Son of God. One preacher said that if we talk about ourselves, we run the risk of exaggerating. We run the risk of saying something that we will regret, that will keep us up at night, wondering whether we should have ever said it at all. That's not possible with Jesus. There's no way to exaggerate on Jesus. There's no way to say something true about Him that we would regret. There is no way to ever over-magnify Him. One poet wrote, I tried in vain a thousand ways, my fears to quell, my hopes to raise. But what I need, my Bible says, is ever only Jesus. And thank God, because of God's grace and the cross and resurrection, we can have Him. And we find here, we can have Him in the way that Peter did in Matthew 17. Jesus, back in chapter 8, has cleansed a leper, and He's healed a paralytic. In chapters 14 and 15, He's fed 5,000 men, many more with women and children. And then again, 4,000 men with women, many more women and children. He provided light. He provided safety. He provided food. Now in Matthew 17, He provides the financial resources to pay taxes. That's what He does. When, and when He did, He provided tax money for Himself and for Peter and showed that He is sufficient for all, beginning in verse 24 of Matthew 17. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, 
Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, yes. And when he, Peter, had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom did the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, Well, from strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. This morning you may find yourself in circumstances like Peter. You have a need, and yet you do not have the supply. You've got a challenge in front of you. Something that creates anxiety. Something that bothered you this morning. Something that Gave you anxiety last night when you went to sleep. And maybe you have sought to meet your own need. Perhaps you have sought to meet this need with destructive forces, destructive measures. And you're addicted. Perhaps you have sought to meet this need with neutral measures. That was the deceptive thing about me before I came to know the Lord. I did things that people applauded to meet my need. I chased grades and I chased... Uh, sports and prowess on the field and the court and left me empty. These were neutral things that I turned into a God and they turned their back on me. Or perhaps you've even you've sought good things and have misused them. And even these good things have not satisfied your need. Another relationship, another romance, even your family's left you disappointed. Nothing has worked and you're empty and stressed and lugubrious about your future. You're sad about it. You're tired of the misery. You're tired of your present company. And if that's you, you're in a perfect place for Jesus to do something in your life. And He'd like to. And that's what we find here in Matthew 17. In fact, the place where you have arrived may be the kind of place that one preacher described is discovering Jesus is all you need. Oftentimes, we don't know that Jesus is all we need until He's all we've got. Everything else is gone. All the props are knocked out. And Jesus, only Jesus, is what we have. Take your need to Jesus because Jesus is all in all. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the first place, it means He loves all. In verse 24, in verse 24 it says here, that Jesus came to Capernaum, and those who received the drachma tax, the temple tax, came to Peter and said, does he not pay it? This was a tax that was commanded in Exodus 30 of all men who'd reached 20. They felt like those who had reached 20 were full grown. You know, it feels good to say that. Let me say it again. It, 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 um, it uh, was the notion then that when adults reached the age of 20, they were full grown. Isn't that interesting? And uh, and if that was the case, they were to pay taxes. And they were to pay the temple tax. This was not a government tax. It was a religious tax for the upkeep then of the tabernacle and later the temple. And it was called, in fact, in Exodus 30, verse 11, a ransom. And so instead of the young men giving themselves to service in the temple, they would give to drachmas. 
for the temple tax. Now that currency went out of circulation and was later replaced by the stator coin. But it was a ransom. It was something that served as a substitute until uh, or so that they could take care of the needs of the temple. You know, Jesus paid this for Peter, and maybe Peter's thinking about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. He said, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This tax would stand in as a substitute for the young Jewish male and older Jewish males, so they gave it instead of giving themselves. And when Jesus came to the earth, Jesus was the substitute for sinners as He died on the cross. That's what Jesus Christ did. And this is God's way of making us right with Him. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, if you try to make yourself right with God, God will never do it for you. You've got to stop and cease that naive or intentional arrogance thinking you can make yourself right with God by your virtue, by your works, by your religion. Nothing can do it, only the blood of Christ, and you place faith in the cross and resurrection, and that permanently settles the issue before God. And that's God's way. He accepts no other. One poet said, Life is short and death is sure. Send the curse and Christ the cure. Christ and Christ alone is the payment God has offered to make us right with Him. Reminds me, now that we're about to open baseball season in the United States, of a uh, husband and wife that received tickets to a Major League Baseball game. Uh, It came with a parking pass, and all the benefits to these particular tickets didn't really dawn on him. He arrived at the stadium, got his free parking went in and immediately found the vendor that was selling $1 popcorn and real small $1 uh, sodas. That's what he did. And so he got in line, got those, and was walking up to his seat, he thought, with a $1 bag of popcorn and a $1 soda. Others were walking around with larger sodas and larger popcorn, and he began to uh, regret it. But then he asked an usher, because he couldn't find a seat, where to go, and he sent him to an elevator. And there was an exclusive bunch that went up to the elevator. And when he arrived, he was greeted uh, at a clubhouse. And he was shown into a, uh, a, a box house. And he went in and discovered, as it was explained to him, that all the food there was free. I mean, there was filet mignon, there was uh, shrimp alfredo, there was all sort of dessert, everything he could ever want, all the sodas he could ever want to drink. And he felt kind of foolish carrying this $1 Uh, $1 items that he had purchased himself. And he could sit in the uh, box seats and watch the game. He could go out on the terrace or he could go actually to his assigned seat. The tickets had paid for everything he needed at this particular game. He didn't have to purchase them on his own. And so, ladies and gentlemen, that's what God has provided in Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. And it really is a naive, probably naive and unintentional insult to come to God and say, I'm going to make myself right with you by my virtue and works. I'm going to try a little bit harder. And God says, my standard is much too high. I'm too demanding. I'm too exacting. You're going to have to accept my gift if you're ever going to be made right with me. And at the end of the service today, we'll give you that opportunity to turn to Christ. And God promises if you'll repent and trust Christ alone, 
You can be made right with Him because Jesus loves all. But that's not all. Jesus not only loves all, but Jesus also does all. Did you notice the text? Chapter 17, verse 24. Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Actually, the way that this question is worded in the Greek, there's no negative. Uh, It is worded in such a way to where those asking the question really expect that Jesus will pay it because apparently through the years He's paid it. He's been obedient to Exodus chapter 30, uh, verse 11 through 16. So it really could literally read, does your, uh, does your teacher pay the temple tax? With the expectation of Peter's answer in verse 25, and that is yes. Now Matthew chapter 17 is a remarkable chapter. It begins with Jesus and the transfiguration. He is up on the mount. He drops his humanity and displays his glory and deity like he did when Israel dedicated the temple under Solomon. He displayed a Shekinah glory, and then a cloud appears at the beginning of Matthew 17 there in the transfiguration, where the Father declares, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Moses and Elijah appear there. Now this is the Lord's life. He begins chapter 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. He ends it paying taxes. And that's how it goes in the Lord's Life. It reminds me of the boy who was choking on a coin, and his mother was frantic. She couldn't get it out of him, and a man saw what was taking place and ran over to the boy, grabbed him by the ankles, turned him upside down, and shook the coin out of him. And the mother looked at him, and she said, Sir, you looked like you knew exactly what to do to get this coin out of him. Are you a doctor? He says, No, I work for the IRS. <laughs> They know how to get it from you, don't they? One man was going through an audit, and he was present. And one agent said to him, "Uh, We notice you still have money left after you pay taxes. Can you explain that? You'll get that after lunch. Taxes are forever a difficult issue for many. Uh, IRS and Forbes magazine studies show that one out of every five tax filers understate their income. One out of ten overstate deductions. One out of six claim dependents illegally. Fifty percent said they thought everyone would cheat if they could get away with it. The more tax vendors, uh, the more tax evaders a person knows, the more likely he or she is to cheat. And tax evasion costs the IRS $458 billion annually, and about 18% of taxes that are owed legally are never paid. So that one little word at the beginning of verse 25 is very meaningful. Yes, Jesus paid his taxes. Jesus' integrity extends even to his money, all the way to paying taxes. Jesus did all the law of God. He obeyed the law of God flawlessly. He is the only one ever to walk the earth without ever sinning or disappointing God or disappointing anyone legitimately in his life. The only one. Now, I just have to be real honest with you. With someone like that, why aren't people lining up to magnify him and to follow him? I don't understand. Why isn't he a celebrity? Why isn't he the model of life? Why isn't he the model of doctrine and theology and moral purity? I I don't understand that. Do you understand that? I sure don't. Jesus did it 
all. He obeyed the law of God flawlessly. And let me say, as you invite friends to be part of Beach Haven next Sunday, and then as we begin our harvest time with Steve Foster, April 23rd, you are inviting people to come to someone and to magnify someone and to follow someone who will never disappoint them. Someone who was flawless and perfect in the truest and purest sense of the word. So Jesus does all. But then there's a third thing about Jesus, how he's our all in all. And that is Jesus knows all. Look at verse number 25. When Peter had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. Now Jesus was not part of the conversation in verse 24 and the first part of verse 25. He was in the house. This conversation took place outside the house, and he anticipated and knew of the conversation being in the house. Jesus knows all, even our future. And Jesus' knowledge is ahead of us. Jesus anticipates everything that will come our way and has anticipated everything that would come his way. In fact, he would go so far as to prophesy, and where he sits now, he's got a pretty good vantage point on everything. He knows what you cannot imagine. He anticipates what you do not expect, whether it's temptations or surprises or bills or surgery or disappointment or failure or death or children or handicaps. He already lives in tomorrow and is arranging it all to work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. And so come what may, we can shout and say with firm confidence, this is the day the Lord has made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. He knows the challenges that you'll face to invite your one to come this coming Sunday. And those you'll seek to reach for April 23rd through 26th. But He also knows effectiveness and He can guide you and He knows how to do that too. The primary thing then is to trust Him. But there's a fourth thing about Jesus that makes Him our all in all. And that is Jesus owns all. Verses 25 and 26. Jesus tells a parable. Having anticipated Peter, He said, What do you think, Simon? From whom did the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Well, do they tax the royal family? Do royals tax their own family for the upkeep of uh, their palaces and their kingdoms? No, not at all. They, they tax the citizenry. They tax strangers. Uh, many would tax other nations. And so he's entirely correct. And Jesus concludes, well, then the sons are free, Correct. Yes, those that are royal sons are free from the taxes their father might impose. And so Jesus then turns that in verse 27 and says, Nevertheless, in contrast to that, let's go ahead and pay the tax. Well, there's a contrast here then. What Jesus is implying, but not stating in the parable, is that just as kings and and the fathers who are kings do not tax their royal offspring so God the Father does not expect his own son to pay the temple tax. God the Father owns it therefore Jesus owns it therefore Jesus is God and is not obligated to pay the tax. It's more appropriate for Jesus to collect the tax than it is to pay 
the text. Now, he doesn't want to offend anyone or unnecessarily create an issue, and so he goes ahead, goes ahead and pays the tax. But the point here is Jesus Christ is God, and he's claim, or implying this, or at least inferring it here in verse 25. Oh, we could go on and on with this. Jesus has the claims of God. John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, The Father and I are one. He has the titles of God. He's called Lord more than 200 times in the New Testament. The very word in the Greek Old Testament used of the God of creation. And then he has the acts or actions of God. In Mark chapter 2, he forgave someone their sins against God, which would have been sins against him. Therefore, he owns it all. He owns forgiveness. He owns redemption. He owns this life. He owns eternity. He owns the kingdom. Jesus Christ then deserves a big day today and next Sunday and the one after and one every after that as well. And all the days in between the Sundays, He deserves big Sundays. So Jesus loves all and does all and knows all and owns all, but then Jesus rules all. Verse number 27. This is remarkable. Uh, Jesus has Peter retrieve a stator coin. Now, the drachma has fallen out of the circulation. And a stator coin is worth four drachmas. Every Jewish male had to pay two drachmas. So one stator coin is enough to pay for two men in the temple tax. And in Matthew chapter 17, verse 27, we find Jesus giving Peter a very strange and what might appear to some to be a very odd a bit of instruction. He said, Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, they're on the Sea of Galilee, cast in a hook, not the net you're accustomed to as a fisherman. Make it very unlikely, just use a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you've opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money and take that and give it to them. Now, This is a very unusual request. Consider these questions. What chances are there that this is going to happen? How many fish were in this sea? Hundreds and thousands easily. How many many stator coins had been dropped into the sea? Of all the coins dropped in the sea, how many had dropped stator coins? And then... Of the fish that might swallow these coins, how many of them had swallowed the stator coin? And then how many of such fish were swimming near Capernaum, near Peter's location of all places? And then how many of them with a coin in their mouth would be the first to bite Peter's hook and that with the coin in their mouth? You see. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a flat-out miracle that takes place. And Jesus arranges it all. And so Peter obeyed an odd command, what appeared to be an odd command, and at the end of it found a miracle. And that's why some of us don't see God working in our lives. He tells us what to do, and it appears to be too odd because we're too worldly. We're not biblically minded. And we miss out on the miracle God wants to do with us. Charles Ryrie said about this, Always be willing then to do anything, anytime, anywhere for the Lord. Cast caution to the wind, or to the fishes at least, and just obey God. It's none of your business about the consequences and what follows. 
You're not on this earth to manage those. You have one purpose in life, and that is simply to do what God says to do. And you leave the consequences with Him. God is the one who takes care of those things. Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Just obey God. He'll take care of the caution. He'll take care of the need. He'll take care of the fallout. He'll take care of the consequences. Just obey God and do what He says. When Peter did that, that's when he found his miracle, and you might as well. God's speaking to some of your hearts today saying, you're not saved. You're not safe with me. You're not right with me. You need to come forward this morning and talk to a staff member and give your heart and life to my son. Abandon your all and trust the Lord Jesus, his cross and resurrection. Others of you need to become part of Beach Haven. God's moving on your heart. Say yes and do what he says. He's moving on some of you to follow him in baptism. I mean, he's already told you to out of his word. By the way, if you want to hear God speak audibly, Just read your Bible out loud. That's enough. That'll do it every time. And he's already commanded that. It's time to follow God and do what he says. Uh, Others of you, it's time to return to the Lord. Just obey God and do what God says. I want us to pray about it. Would you stand with me, please? Now, Father, we come before you now, and we want to praise you that the Lord Jesus is all in all. And you've made it abundantly clear in your word that that's the case. There is nothing and there is no need beyond you. There is no sin and no guilt here that's too great for you to forgive. There there is no lack here that you cannot supply. You have grace even for those here this morning who consider themselves the worst. And I want to pray that you'll manifest it today. Now as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, can I talk to you for just a minute? God's moving on your heart. Can you give me a good reason to tell him no? If I were to tell you something and you were to tell me no, I I could sympathize with you. But we're talking about the Lord God who pulled off this miracle here in this text. There's no good reason. Why don't you just settle in your heart this morning? You're going to do what God wants you to do. You're going to yield. You're going to surrender. He wants you to come to Christ. Staff will be here. We'll receive you today. He wants you to follow him in baptism. He wants you to be part of this church. He wants to move on you. You need to abandon your opinion. You need to abandon your view. You need to abandon everything to come to Jesus Christ and say yes to him. You may feel like you're the worst person in this building. Maybe so. That doesn't matter to God. He has enough love and kindness And the blood of Jesus Christ he shed is enough to cancel every bit of your guilt. And there's so many here that could come and tell you that today. He's broken the chains of addiction, of drunkenness. He has healed marriages. He has healed families. He's done great things. And of that we are glad. And we praise his name for it. It's time to do what God wants you to do. I'm going to pray that you will as I finish my prayer. And then we're going to sing, and we're going to ask you to come. Lord God, would you please gather glory for Jesus now and help our friends to obey you and to say yes to him. In Jesus' name.